we're going to dig into something um, in these next few weeks. You know, I was really praying about uh, which direction God was going to take us on these midweek Bible studies. And, and uh, a lot of times we'll go through a, a book and, um, you know, read through it verse by verse. And I love doing that. And in a way, we're kind of doing that on Sunday through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but through this little bit of time together, I want us to dig a little bit deeper. And, and the way we're going to do that is not just by studying a little bit deeper, but actually digging deeper into our own hearts. Um, and, and there's going to be some action that we put along with this. But um, we're going we're gonna to just watch God stir up a, a godly memory in us, a, a mind and a heart of thanksgiving. I really truly believe that um, whatever is ahead of us, we're going to go into it and out of it in Thanksgiving. That Thanksgiving is such a, a, a key element of the Christian life. It is a key element of victory. It is a key element of joy, right? Amen. You know, I've met people who had such great joy that if they were to compare their circumstances to yours, you would say they don't have a reason to be that happy or that joyful. But they absolutely do. They absolutely do. They're just looking at it different than you're looking at it. And they're allowing God to, to, to speak and to work in the season that they're in, the place that they're in, and they're full of joy. And, you know, in fact, the scripture talks about those, talks about a particular church that had kind of got hammered by the world for being so radical, and they were persecuted because they were making a difference. And uh, Paul said that, I, I've witnessed your great joy, in the, like I've witnessed your, uh, you standing strong in the midst of tribulation and the great joy of the Holy Spirit that you had in the middle of it. Right? I mean, like, that's powerful. Can you imagine a joyful church? Doesn't matter what's being thrown at them. Doesn't matter what people think of them. Doesn't matter what's being said on the news about them. They're joyful. Because they, they know who their God is. They know what he's done. They know what to focus on. And we want to just, you know, I, I, I've, I've noticed this throughout my study of the Bible. God says remember a lot. He really does. And a lot of times our way of um, getting through life is not to remember things. We, we try to get past things. Just get over it. Don't think about it. Um, and I understand where you're coming from because you don't want to focus on the bad and you don't want to focus on the, the hard parts. And I get that. But, uh, you know, a big part of faith, faith looks forward, but faith also has a good memory. And I know that because of, of, of all the times that God says, hey, when they're coming up to a new challenge, God says, remember what I did here. I know that because when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and expected them that they would be able to take authority over those storms, that he expected that they'd be able to get them to the other side. And when they're freaked out that he walked on water and they're freaked out that he spoke to the wind and waves, he said, don't you remember what I did over here with the loaves and the fishes? He said, do you not remember or do you have a hardened heart? Did you know that that's the binary question he asked? Do you remember or do you have a hardened heart? So if I want a soft heart, I've got to have a good memory of what God's done. I've got to have a good memory of not just the times, you know, because honestly, if, if, if we're just to think in our own soul and just to go back through time, a lot of times the memories we have, we've classified in good and bad, good memories and bad memories. But I, I want to tell you that no matter what moment of your life you look back at, if you're to look properly, you can find God, right? Unless you're telling me God wasn't there. But that's not the God I know. I know the God that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So the problem with a lot of our memory is that we're thinking of things and we're forgetting where God was the whole time. Because we weren't looking at God at the time or we just were looking at, oh, the wind and the wave and the storms. And you forgot to look at Jesus in the boat. Right? And so when we look back, we have the benefit of looking back and seeing God even when we didn't see him at the time or, or, or remembering how God brought us through something. Or God delivered us with his mighty hand or God sustained us or God comforted us or God uh, uh, provided for us in those times. That is huge and valuable. And so I, I want to I just go over some simple stuff with you um, through the word of God. And I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy because... Uh, we're not going to just focus on this section of history throughout these next few weeks. But tonight, I do want to spend some time talking about those Hebrew people coming out of Egypt. Because probably more than anywhere else, when God talks about remembering, this is the story he often goes back to. 
Even hundreds of years later, when the psalmists are writing their songs, they're remembering this. In fact, even the psalmists, you, you may think, well, didn't David write the psalms? David wrote a, quite a few, but there were a lot of other psalmists. And some of those psalmists, a good chunk of them actually were writing songs while, the, uh, while their people were, were exiled into, into Babylon, which was an interesting thing in itself because uh, while they were in Babylon, the Babylonians, their way of conquering was to assimilate, right? So uh, the Assyrians wanted to wipe you out. They wanted to crush all rebellion. They wanted to be so cruel that they'd break your spirit and you wouldn't rebel, and, and if you were to walk into an Assyrian king's waiting room, you would see examples on the wall of what he did to the last guy that rebelled. And so when, you, when we find old Assyrian manuscripts and, and carvings, usually not manuscripts, but they're usually carvings, that have lasted for thousands of years, what the kings brag about is how mean they were. And, and the reason for it was to scare you out of rebelling. But by the time the Babylonians came into power... See, the, the Assyrians were uh, overthrown by the Medes, Persians, Babylonians. And by the time the Babylonians came into power, they had a different way of conquering. And it was a way that was adopted by Cyrus as he went through conquering empires. It was a way that was adopted by Alexander. It was a way, in fact, that the Romans made some use of as well. But it was, uh, the Babylonians really started the trend of conquering by assimilating. And if you'll read the story of uh, the Judean people, uh, of the Jews that were taken out of their homeland and taken to Babylon, you'll see that what they did was they took their, their young noblemen, they took their smart and wisest people, they took the cream of society, took them to Babylon, put them in their schools, taught them their language, taught them their math and their writing, and trained them to be educated in the Babylonian system. And the idea was, they won't rebel because they'll fall in love with our culture. Now you can see why, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later in the New Testament, God warns us not to fall in love with Babylon. God tells us that we're still in Babylon in a way. Today, we're, we're in a foreign culture as lights. We're in a foreign culture, and God told them, bless Babylon while you're there, right? Speak my blessing over them. Bless them, be a blessing to them, because I'm going to bless them to bless you. So he's not, he's not saying be in constant rebellion, but he's saying don't, don't become Babylonian. D don't be assimilated. You're my people. You are people of Zion. You're not people of Babylon. You're people of Zion. And so today, we, we hear that, and we go, okay, thank God. I'm in a foreign culture that doesn't, that doesn't follow the ways of God, that, that hasn't fully submitted to the kingdom of God. But I'm here as salt and light. I'm here as an ambassador. But praise the Lord, this is not my home. And while they were in Babylon, one of the things the Babylonians did, and it's kind of what we do now too, is, is you know, it's, it's like the British when they conquered all these different places when they were expanding their empire and they went into India and places like that and they brought tea back and they brought spices back and they said, isn't this great? Look at this foreign culture. It's become part of our culture. Well, the Babylonians wanted to do that too. So they would say things like, hey, play us one of your songs from Zion. Play us one of your fancy Hebrew songs. Well, you, it's funny. It's got that. Play, play one of those songs on your harps. And one of the Psalms says, they asked us to play our songs of Zion, but how can we play those songs in a foreign land? Yeah. They struggled with that. How can we play the songs of Zion when we're not in Zion? They, they talked about hanging up their harps and going to the river and weeping as they looked at their homeland. Nevertheless, they wrote songs while they were there. They wrote songs while they were there. And many of those songs said, let's remember and let's teach our kids what God did. And they go back and say, let us never forget what God did as he brought us out of Egypt. Let's not forget what God did as he brought us through the wilderness. Let's not forget what God did as he brought us into Canaan. And, and they begin, and, and in fact, they also say, let's not forget what our forefathers did when they didn't listen. Because we have the benefit now of learning from their experience rather than repeating it and learning from our own. Praise the Lord. Right? You parents know that. You would rather your kids learn from your mistakes than, than make the same mistakes and learn from theirs. Right? That's a smart way to parent. You say, listen, at the appropriate time, I mean, you don't break out your greatest hits of mistakes when they're two, but at the appropriate time, you say, listen, I got to tell you about some 
some roads I went down, I don't want you to go down. And, and you, you do it so that they don't live, this, live out the same mistakes, right? Well, the, you know, God taught his people how to do this, how to remember what God did and, and remember his great and mighty deeds so that they'd have confidence in the Lord hundreds of years later. Praise the Lord. They had an idea, and I think this is something we need to learn. They had an idea that you didn't have to live it in your lifetime for it to be part of your story. Right? You ever thought about that? If I were to ask you, what's the Lord done? Tell me something the Lord's done in your life. I, I praise the Lord. I, I want to hear what he did, particularly in your lifespan. But, you know, it's not a bad thing to say, well, let me tell you what he did. And you start listing off things he's done through history. Because the Israelites did that. They considered what happened to their forefathers as part of their story. It wasn't somebody else. Hey, I'm the, I'm the child of Abraham. I'm the child of Isaac. I'm the child of Jacob. And they would tell the story of what God did, and it would remind them to put their confidence in God. Right? So your confidence in the future has a lot to do with your memory of the past. And I want to read you something from the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8.1 says, All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply. And go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. You will remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you or proving you to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. Now here, let me stop for a minute. Do you think God was not aware of what they would do? You guys don't seem sure. <laughs> See, I believe in a God that knows everything. I believe in free will, but I also believe in a God that's seen everything. He's not surprised. He's not finding out what you're going to do. He knows. So a big part of this is not God figuring something out he doesn't know. It's It's... Him showing you what you don't know. And you learning something. In fact, I believe this. If we, we studied this about a year ago, year and a half. We studied through the journey out of the exodus out of Egypt. And, and you, it's, it's amazing. Not, number one, you see Christ in it, which is amazing. It's awesome. You know, you see so many pictures of Jesus in it, which is brilliant, right? The cross and all of that. But you also see that through each one of these, every time they hit um, an obstacle that they didn't know how to get past, whether it was a, 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 a sea in their way that they couldn't cross, or we ran out of water and there's just a rock, or there's water but it's poison, or all of these things, right? Every time they ran against an obstacle, God taught them something new about himself. And he showed them, you're going to need to trust me about this. Because, listen, he was taking a group of people that had been slaves for hundreds of years, They've been in Egypt for 400 years. It, it took him a while to get that out of their heads. Now, he took them straight to the promised land. They did have the do not pass go into the promised land right away option, but they rejected it. So they spent 40 years learning who God was. What's funny is some of those initial, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you how to trust in me. Those initial ones didn't take place after the rejected God. They took place right between Egypt and the promised land. They could have learned their lessons quick, but they didn't. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of us have lived that same place. Why did they go through all that? Well, God was, God was training Egypt out of them. God was working Egypt out of them, and he was working faith into them. One of the problems with being a slave, we think the biggest problem with being a slave is somebody's mean to you and forces you to do work. That's bad. But another big part of the problem of being a slave is you learn to depend on your master instead of depending on God. They hated the Egyptians, but it isn't a coincidence that when they started getting hungry, they wanted to go back. The same people that cried said, please let us go. Were the same ones that says, please let us go home. Because at least they had, remember, they said, remember the food we had in Egypt? Remember the meat pots? Remember the garlic and the leeks and the onions? Remember? And their, their memory isn't serving them well. Instead of remembering what the Lord did, they're saying, remember the food? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? Because the Egyptians were mean, but they fed us. The Egyptians were mean, but they made sure no enemies attacked us. Yeah. 
The Egyptians were mean, but we had roofs over our heads. You see, they, they, it, is, it is human nature, fallen human nature, not God-given human nature, but it is fallen human nature to prefer to, have, to serve someone you can see than someone you can't see. And so a slave mentality, you know, whenever you're a slave to something, it will abuse you, it will mistreat you, it will destroy you, and yet there is something in the fallen nature that craves it because at least somebody's taking care of me. And what God wants to do is to deliver you from slavery so that you say, he's all I need, he will provide, he will deliver, he'll do all of those things, and I don't have to say when things get difficult, oh, I wish I could go back. Because let me tell you, your memory is not always accurate. You say, well, well, you know, I don't remember having this much trouble when I was in the world. You did. (laughs) Scripture says that the way of the transgressor is hard. Your memory cleaned it up. But it it was hard. I was talking to T on the way here. And there was something that really bothered me. Moses had school photo day today. And I said, Tia, I am thinking back. I can't remember one school photo session. I can't remember it. We should have been talking about the service that was coming up. But the whole way from home to here, I said, Tia, this really bothers me. I can't remember sitting down once and looking at a camera at school. I I know there's photos of me every year, but I have no recollection of it. And I remember really weird things that I shouldn't remember, like, a weird fact that doesn't matter. And, and, and I used to fantasize that there'd be a trivia contest and I'd win a million dollars. But I've given up that dream. But I can't remember one photo day. It really bugged me. Memory is not super reliable. However, you, can, you, can, you get to decide what you're going to remember. You get to decide what you're going to bring back to memory. In fact, the scripture talks about bringing things to remembrance. So many times we think our brain's on autopilot. We'll get it out of autopilot, get it off cruise control, and begin to control your mind. How do you control your mind? By your spirit. Your spirit outranks your mind. It is the rock to the scissors. It will beat it every time. And in this crazy game of paper, rock, scissors, if we're talking about spirit, soul, and body, spirit is the, is, is the one that beats them both. So it doesn't work like regular paper, rock, scissors. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 8, let's get back into it. You will remember all the ways that your Lord your God has led you in the wilderness through these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you. Why does he need to humble you? Because pride is the enemy of grace. Pride keeps you from receiving from God. You, you won't walk in the supernatural, you won't walk in miracles, you won't walk in life if your pride is in the way. Yeah. You think, I, I don't need a miracle, I can do this myself. I don't need God's help, I can do this myself. I don't need his grace, I'm good enough. If you, all of those things are resisting God's work. Right. So humbling is not a bad thing. Humbling is a wonderful thing. They were being humble, they were realizing we need him. To know what was in your heart whether you keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and he let you be hungry and fed you with manna you did not know. Now listen to that. He, he let you be hungry. And if you stop there, you think, well, that's mean. But in the same sentence, he says, and he fed you. Do you realize not one person died of starvation on the way to the promised land? In 40 years of wandering through a place that doesn't grow food, nobody starved. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's a big deal. Wilderness. Wilderness is a word that doesn't sell real estate. (laughs) Nobody wants to move to the wilderness. You want to move to the wilderness. Well, in a world where you can just order food, that's cool. But, you know, when you got to grow it, how do they survive? Well, they survive by God's hand. So when he says, I let you be hungry, doesn't mean I let you go hungry. I let you get to a place where you realize we can't do this on our own. He let them come to the place where they go, we need food. And he goes, I fed you with manna you did not know, food you were not aware of. In fact, the very word manna means, what is that? What is it? Qu'est-ce que c'est? What is this? 
We didn't know what this stuff was, and it came out of the sky. And the crazy thing about manna, as you all know, is that God made them play by his rules. And when the food's coming from the sky, you get to do that. He said, he said I know you're going to want to cheat and gather up some extra just in case God stops feeding us. But I'm not going to let you do that. Why? Because this is all about faith. It's all about trusting me. So you're not allowed to gather anymore. And if you do, worms will eat it. Except on the weekend. And on the week, on the Sabbath, I don't want you working. I want you resting and worshiping. So on the Sabbath, it'll keep for an extra day. And no worms will eat it. Isn't that amazing that God did that? Why? Because this was not, see, this is the way we think. We want God to provide for us in such a way that we don't have to ask him again, that we don't have to think about it again. We want him to help us to win the lottery so that this is the last time I have to use my, this is the last time I have to live by faith. This is the last time I have to trust you for it. I just want to trust you once, and then I just don't want to think about it. Well, God doesn't want you to be worried about it. He doesn't want you to be obsessed with it. He doesn't want your mind to be taken up with it, but he wants you to live day by day going, every day God's taking care of me, and if it weren't for him, I'd have nothing. He wants you to have full confidence in him every day. Nothing that I have in my life did not come from him. So he taught them. And he taught them, like, listen, he's going to say later, I, I disciplined you like a father does his son. Now hear that. First of all, discipline is not a bad word. And a lot of times in our heads, we put discipline with punishment. Discipline does not mean punishment. Discipline literally means like training. I trained you like a father would his son. Now, now like a father would his son. Not, not a coach with an athlete. Not, not a boss with an employee, a father with a son. That means I trained you in love. I trained you with commitment. I trained you with devotion. I trained you knowing that, with you knowing, I, I'm, I'm not going to fire you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. But I trained you. One of the things I had to train, listen, he treated them different in the wilderness because he was dealing with them like little kids that had to learn things all over again. He didn't want them to live with manna for the rest of their lives. But during this season, learn what it is to trust me every day. Because you're going to need this in the promised land. He says this. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So I taught you. That, that I was providing for you, that you weren't just living by the food. You were living by what I provided and what you, the word that came out of my mouth. What's so amazing is that Jesus relived this in his moment of hunger, physical hunger. He was tempted. He was tempted to take a shortcut. And he responded to the enemy with this verse, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He goes on and he says this, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell for 40 years. Can you just stop for a minute? Clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. And they're not like sitting in a cushy palace, they're walking, they're getting dusty. They're doing work. They're fighting battles. And their clothes don't wear out. <laughs> I don't know how fit you are, but their feet didn't swell after walking for 40 years. Their feet didn't swell. Didn't, didn't even swell. You guys think that's normal. Okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah, their feet didn't swell. Big deal. My feet don't swell either. Try walking for 40 years to the wilderness, not on these Bud Miller paths. The wilderness, the same shoes for 40 years. Boy, they may not have worn out, but I bet God let them break them in a little bit, you know? There's a theological debate for later. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines or disciples his son. Therefore, 
You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him or to reverence him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Can, can everybody know here that when he says good land, it's, it means a land that people want to live in. And the wilderness was not that land. Nobody wanted to live there. But he says, I'm, li- I'm bringing you to a good land. I'm, I'm bringing you to a land that's on the brochures. I'm bringing you to a place you want to live. However, remember this. It is a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. My mouth is watering already. A land where you will eat food without scarcity. You won't get hungry. In which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron, whose hills you can dig copper. So I'm not only feeding you, I'm providing you for what you need to build your economy, to build your defense, all of these things. And when you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he's given you. When you've eaten and are satisfied, bless the Lord your God. You know, we're going to find out in a second that that may seem obvious, but it's not obvious to a lot of people. There's a reason we bless the Lord. It's not because he's up there feeling sorry for himself. It's not because he's going, hey, nobody gave me a thank you card. Look what I did. It's because, yes, number one, he's worthy of it. And number two, you need to do this. It's the best thing for you is to remember who brought you here. Remember, he says, when you get to the good land, remember the hard land. So many times we don't want to remember the hard land. We want to move on. We want to say, thank God I'm not there anymore, but let me just think about where I am. I love this place. But he said, don't you remember? A lot of times when we remember the hard land, we remember the hard things. We remember, I remember being hungry. I remember that we had to eat the same thing over and over again. I remember I had to wear the same pair of clothes all the time. I, I remember that we had to fight battles. I remember all this. And, and what he's telling you is, don't you remember who fed you? Don't you remember who delivered you? When you remember those times in your life where you were stretched, where you were tested, where it was tough, what do you remember? What do you remember? Is there thanksgiving that pours out of your heart or is there cringing? Is there sorrow that comes out of your heart? Can I suggest to you that you don't have to remember it that way? One of my wife's favorite movie clips is from Saving Mr. Banks, where Walt Disney is talking to the author of uh, Mary Poppins. and she, They're both kind of saying, we both had terrible childhoods, and it's kind of framed her worldview. And he, what did he say to you? He said, I, I've just decided I'm not going to remember it that way. We'll do it right now. He said, I'm tired of remembering it that way. Basically, he's saying to her, you don't have to remember it the way you're remembering it. What do you remember about those times? The Israelites, when they remembered Egypt, they had all the fond memories of the delicious food, but they forgot the beatings they took. And yet when they remembered the wilderness, so many times they said, boy, that was hard. And they don't remember, boy, God was good. We should not have survived that. We should not have made it out of Egypt to start with. Then we we should have died of thirst. Then we should have died of hunger. Then there were how many tribes? Remember, the Israelites are a group of slaves. Nobody in Egypt ever put a weapon in their hand, right? They were a group of slaves who when Pharaoh decided, I'm going to kill your, every, every boy, firstborn boy that's born, they didn't even st- try to stop him. Nobody started a rebellion. Do you think we'd stand by if the government just said, I'm going to kill you. I'm gonna, you, you're going to go to labor. You're going to deliver a kid. As soon as it comes out, we're going to kill the baby. Do you think we would be okay with that? And yet nobody revolted in Egypt when that happened. Why? Because they, they weren't warriors. They didn't know how. They had been so beaten down. So you march this group of slaves through the wilderness and have them march through territory of people that don't want them crossing their territory. And every time they cross territory that belongs to someone else, they're attacked. They should have been wiped out the first battle they had. Do you know what archaeology tells us? According to some archaeologists, what they've discovered was when the Israelites moved through Canaan, technology went backwards. 
Because the Israelites didn't have any technology of war. They, they didn't have, they had sharp sticks. I don't know, they had some swords, maybe some, I mean, they didn't have much of anything. So stuff went backwards. They ran into horsemen. They ran into chariots. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't even know how to work a horse. Can you imagine how backwards you have to be in technology is you don't know how to use a horse? So God gave him instructions. He says, when you come across, when you capture chariots and horses, he says, just hamstring them. Well, that sounds mean, but it's better than killing them, I suppose. Because they didn't know how to use the chariots. They didn't know how to use horses. They didn't know how to use these, these fancy new materials. And so they should have died. Battle number one, they should have been wiped out. But over and over again, God brought them victory. So much so that when they crossed the Jordan, the people of Jericho, behind giant walls with sophisticated weaponry, were afraid of them. Because they had heard the stories. That's amazing. Yet when they remembered it so many times, they, they don't remember that. He says, I mean, imagine the good land he describes. It's amazing. He says, but when you're eaten and are satisfied, bless the Lord your God for the good land which he's given you. And he says this, be careful, beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinance and his statutes, which are commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and you've built good houses and live in them, listen, he's telling them what he wants for them. I want you to eat good. I want you to live in houses. I want you to be satisfied. But when that happens, don't forget me. Don't forget who brought you here. He says, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply. Listen, he is in the process of correcting them. He's blessing them at the same time. He says, when this happens and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. Listen, he says, if you forget. He started this paragraph with saying, if you forget, this is what will happen. Your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where, you, where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and they might test you to do good for you in the end. Listen to that. To do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. You know, nobody gets to say that in the wilderness because it's so obvious that God did it. Nobody gets to say, I made manna fall from the sky. Nobody gets to say, I was so strong that every time Moses lifted his hands up, we won. It's just obvious that God did that. But he says, I'm going to bring you to a land where it's still going to be my goodness that keeps you. But it won't be as obvious to you. You might think, I planted these crops. I built this house. I built these walls. I, I, I got these weapons. I trained. You start to believe you did this. And he says, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he, capital H, who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God, and you go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that God made to perish before you. So you will perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. He's saying, if you want to survive as a nation, here's the key. He doesn't say, quick, build some walls. He doesn't say, quick, raise an army. He doesn't say, quick, plant more crops. He says, never forget who's feeding you. Never forget who delivered you. It is God who's given you the power to make wealth. Don't you dare think it's you. Because he says, the moment you start thinking it's you, this all goes away. That's it. You'll perish as a nation. I don't know if you've read through the history, but they went through seasons where they almost perished. In Judges, more than once, it says, then they forgot. They forgot God. And they went off after all other gods. Then some army comes and takes over, and then God has to raise up another deliverer to set them free. You get to choose what you're going to remember. 
You have to choose to remember. Remember who brought you to this good land. Remember who's given you the power to get where you are. Remember that. Now listen, you're all at different seasons of your life. When they were in the wilderness, God said, remember many times when they start to grumble and complain, he said, remember what I did for you in Egypt, bringing you out. Remember the, remember the signs and wonders I did to bring you out. When they got into the promised land, he said, remember what I did in Egypt. And then remember what I did in the wilderness. There is not one season of your life that God wants you to just forget about. There's some stuff you do need to forget. There's some stuff you need to move on from. But you need to remember God, what he did. How he delivered you, how he provided for you. There's a lot of stuff you're trying to bury. There's a lot of stuff we try to get over. There's a lot of stuff we just want to wipe our mind from. But you, in doing that, you're changing history. You understand that? When you try to wipe, wipe any memory of, of, of that season, you're changing the fact that it was God that brought you out. I'm not talking about wallowing in the hard stuff. I'm not talking about wallowing in the misery of this or that. I'm talking about remembering it in a different way than you've ever remembered it. Go back and go, well, well, how did I get out of that? How did I survive? How did I, how did I get where I am today? All those things I'm trying not to remember, the problem is I'm, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm forgetting that it was God that, brought me through that. It was God that fed me every day. I love the stories of my parents. The hard, I don't love the fact that it was hard for them when they first came to Saskatchewan, that nobody was supporting them financially when they first came, first couple of years. But I love the stories of God providing a moose on the doorstep when they needed it, an offering here, an offering there, I, I, and and. Every year, God provided for them, and every year they had more than enough. I, I love hearing the stories about a preacher that came over and kept asking for more food, and they didn't have enough. And yet every time mom brought her hand out of the bowl, the bowl had the same amount of food in it. Now, they could remember those times and say, oh, there are hard times. I want to forget that. They weren't hard times. They were times of faith. They were times of stretching. They were times of training. There were times where something was tested, and there were times where they came out of it. And God had been faithful all that time. All of your history is a history of God's faithfulness. All of your history is a history of God's faithfulness. So if you only think God's faithful when you remember things and smile, then you're, you're whitewashing history and, and wiping God out of it. Now maybe... <laughs> There's certainly times in my life where my problems were my fault. I don't want to remember that. I'm sure the people that had been with Paul in the boat, and he said, uh, we should not go. We shouldn't do this. And they said, yeah, we're going to do this anyways. I'm sure when they shipwrecked, shipwrecked on an island, they'd rather forget that it was their fault they shipwrecked. I'm sure they'd want to move on from that. But they also need to remember that it was because Paul was on that ship that they survived. That God spared their lives. <laughs> he said something in Deuteronomy 4 that I'll just quote to you. He, he said, um, uh, let me just pull it up here because I want to get it accurate. There's just a, a quick verse I want to read to you. He says uh, in Deuteronomy 4.9, he says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. Keep your soul diligently. Take care of your soul like you take care of a garden. Keep your soul diligently so that you don't forget the things which I have seen and they don't depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons, your daughters and your granddaughters. Take care of your soul that you don't forget this stuff. Remember these things. Pass it on. I want to read you something from, Deuter uh, from the book of Psalms as we come to a, a place where I'm, I'm going to get you to act on this in, in a way. Um, Psalm 78 is, is a chapter that I love to quote at baby dedications and times when we talk about parenting because it's such a powerful thing for parents to hear. 
But Psalm 78.1 is a psalm of Asaph. And um, it, it's, it's hauntingly beautiful. But it's one of those psalms that, that recounts, and it's one of many that goes back and recounts what God has done. Asaph says this in Psalm 78, verse 1. He says, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to my, the sayings of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. It doesn't mean he's saying bad things. When he says dark, he just means they're not talked about a lot. Stuff a lot of people don't know about. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we've heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We won't conceal them from their children. We won't conceal them from their children. We are not going to hide our stories from our kids. But we will tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord. His strength and his wondrous works that he has done. We've got to talk about what God has done. We've got to stir up our memory. We've got to tell more stories. We've got to give more testimonies. We've got to remember what God has done. If we don't talk about it, you think if I don't talk about it, I'm just not talking about it. But this psalm says if you don't talk about it, you're hiding it. Yeah. Don't hide this. Well, I don't like to talk about it. It was, it was a period I did some stupid things. I don't like to talk about it. Don't talk. I mean, you know what? This story is not really about you. It's about God's faithfulness. It's about how you, when you failed, he picked you up. When you fell down, he lifted you. When, when you could not do it, he could do it. This is a story of him. And if you'll pass that on, what a blessing to future generations. Fathers and mothers, listen to this. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. People, you know, whether or not you are a natural father or mother or whether you are in many ways a spiritual father or mother, listen to this. He says this, he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They didn't keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he'd shown them. Listen, they forgot what God did. That story about the sons of Ephraim not showing up for battle, that happened after they were in the promised land. Let me tell you something. Nobody had the option in the wilderness not to show up. You were there. <laughs> and they didn't have any skilled archers back then. What we're talking about, I, I don't know, this sounds weird, but, but back then, archery was advanced tech. Archery was like advanced weaponry. They have a group of kids that are educated and equipped in the best technology of war. And we think, when the day comes, we get to rely on these guys. These archers are tip-top. This says they were trained. They had the finest bows. They were ready. And yet, when the day of battle comes, they turn and run away. You know, you can educate your kids. You can equip them with the, the best uh, equipment and training that the world has to offer. But if they have no confidence in God... When things get tough, they'll run away. Right? It's technology won't save them. Education won't save them. It's confidence in God. How do they get confidence in God? Well, they get through by walking with God, but you know, they also get it from hearing from you. You, you building a memory. You sharing memory. You stirring up your own memory. What has God done? says the sons of Ephraim turned back because they forgot what God had done. You see, their confidence was in their training. Their confidence was in what they could do. Their confidence was meant to be in what God could do. Praise the Lord. I would love for us to not waste a memory in our life. I would love for us, 
I know it's not always fun to look back at every part of your life. I'm not saying you need to live there. Don't live in the past for crying out loud. There's a truth to what Paul said about forgetting what lies behind. But when he said forgetting what lies behind, he's also the same guy that every time he shows up in court, he tells his story. When he writes letters, he goes, also, God showed me great mercy because I persecuted the church, and yet he delivered me, and he called me an apostle, and just so he could show his great mercy. So somehow, all these things live together. I say that because I know one of you is going to come at me at the end of the service and say, forgetting what lies behind. Do you think every time Paul read his own letters, he's like, what, I did that? (laughs) You think he's up in heaven going, what are they preaching about? I did that? What he's saying is I'm not putting confidence in what I had in the past, what I did. I'm not looking back. I'm not letting my past weigh me down. And I'm not letting my past lift me up. But you know what he did? Remember about his past? What God did. You have to get over what you did in the past. Because what you did in the past will either bring you false pride or shame. Both will kill you. So you need to be able to look in your past and see God and see his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness. When we think of the Israelites in the wilderness, we often think of hard things. But you know, the Bible says they found grace in the wilderness. They found grace in the wilderness. It's amazing. God says to them, when they were in a hard season, he said, remember when I brought you out of Egypt. And then when they were in a good season, He said, don't you forget. Don't forget the manna. Don't forget the Red Sea parting. Don't forget when you have fountains and springs coming out of the ground, don't forget when water had to come out of a rock. When you have crops and fruit trees and livestock and herds and all of the things you want to put on your table, don't forget when food fell out of the sky for you. When you have swords and spears and arrows and walls, don't forget when you were just a wandering band of ragtag farmers and and brick makers and I caused you to defeat mighty armies. Don't forget it's the Lord. Every season of your life is a season to remember God. Stir up your memory. Don't forget his faithfulness. Tell those stories to your kids. There's certain stories you just don't want to tell your kids. There's certain times of your life you don't want to look back on. And quite honestly, I can't tell you which times you should tell and which times you shouldn't. That's up to you. But I will tell you this. Maybe there's some stuff you don't think has any merit to it. You don't think it has any redeeming value. But it's because you haven't, you haven't seen God in it. You don't look back and say, wait, how did I survive that? How did I get out of that mess? How did I get out of the pit? Because I know I was in a pit. I know I was in trouble. I know I was surrounded by enemies. How did I live? How did I come out in victory? Oh, it was the hand of God that brought me out. Tell of what God did. Tell of what God did. I want us to do something together. If you have a notepad, use a notepad. If you have uh, a phone, if you want to use your phone, you can use your phone. But I want us to um, act on the word here. I want you to do your best in the, in the period of time that we have. And if you, if you, wanna, if you don't get through it, because I'm not going to give you a ton of time. So if you can't get through it tonight, take it home with you and, and, and think about it. But I want us to practice stirring up our memory, okay? I want us to practice. And, and one of the greatest ways, here's what you do when you remember what God has done. You thank him. You bless him. You talk about it, right? Your mouth is a powerful tool. So when you remember what God has done, sing a song, give them a prayer of thanksgiving, tell somebody else about it. These are all things to do. Do something with the thanksgiving that's in your heart. Because in doing something, it stirs it up even more. And this is the path to victory, guys. If we be a people of thanksgiving... If we be a people of thanksgiving, you find that it is a mighty tool against oppression. It is a mighty tool against despair. When I remember what the Lord has done, I'll never go back anymore. Remember that song? When I remember what the Lord has done, when I remember what the Lord has done, all these things that seem really big right now don't seem so big. 
I want you to write down three times that God rescued you. I don't care what he rescued you from. Three times God rescued you. Three times that you were delivered out of the mouth of the lion. If you need to think about it, you think about it. That's fine. Because you can do this at home. My hunch is that some things are popping up as we just began to talk about it. That's what happens to me. Then I want you to write three examples of supernatural provision. I want you to write three examples. God took care of your needs. You know, can I point this out? God was still taking care of their needs in the promised land just as much as he took care of the needs in the wilderness. That's really the point. It, the problem is, is they think they're taking care of their needs once they have big crops and once they live in nice houses and once they have, uh, you know, all the, all the stuff growing and all the herds. They think, I finally don't need to trust God for this. I'm able to take care of myself. He said, no, it is, it is I who gave you the power to get wealth. It is I that gave you the power to eat all this food. It's me that did that. It's like, it's like a light. It's like a candle in the, in the dark is more obvious than a candle in the daytime. The only difference is imagine that it is the candle that is producing the daylight. Because <laughs> when we think, you know, I, a lot of times we think of God's provision as when we were, in, we were in that really tight place. And we had no other hope but God. So God provided. Well, listen, if you've got a successful business right now and a bank account that's doing good, and investments that are coming in, it is still the same God that took care of you then. In every season, Paul said. Paul says, I know the secret of having tight season and abundant season. He says, I know the secret of both. I know the secret of having little and the secret of having a lot. He said, the secret is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret is, I found Christ in every season. The secret is, I saw what he was doing in every season, and I knew... I. Have you ever thought about the fact that you need Christ's strength to live in a time of abundance? Absolutely you do. God told them they did because if they forgot, it's not going to go well for them. Praise the Lord. All right, I won't harp on that too, too long. Now I want you to write down, I want you to write down three areas that you don't really, aren't really a struggle for you anymore. All right, so this is something you, you feel like this is, this isn't something I have to think about too much, okay? So this is something that used to be a, a thing that I had to, boy, I had, it was a fight. This used to be a fight for me. It's not really a fight anymore. First of all, let's thank God for the victory there, amen? <laughs> thank God he brought you through it. But I also want you to see in these areas that aren't really a struggle, this, the grace of God that brought you through it is still the, the grace of God that sustains you in that area too. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not, it's not just it used to be a struggle and it's not a struggle anymore. It is the same grace of God that's keeping you today. It's the same grace of God. It's the same power of God. So just remember, this is what he's telling them. When you were in the wilderness, it was obvious I was keeping you alive. But now you're in a land where you have all the stuff you need. It's still me keeping you alive. Don't forget this. It's the same stuff that, that keeps us in the wilderness, that keeps us in the promised land. It's the same power, and hand of God. Now I want you to start to make some connections. We wrote these things down. We wrote these things down. And I, I want you to begin to apply these things. I want you to apply these things, these these things where God rescued you, these, thing, these examples of supernatural provision, these things where you, 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 you say, I don't really struggle. I seem to have gotten victory in that area. And I want you to begin to see what God's doing with all of those things, what God's doing today. So in those areas that he rescued you, how, how does the memory of that help you right now? How does that help you right now where you are right now? How God rescued me, I don't, you don't need to write it down, but just think about it. God rescued me these three times. God, God delivered me these three times. God set me free. How, how does that apply to your 
circumstance right now, to the big things that seem big right now? How, how do those examples of supernatural provision, how do they apply to you at this moment where you are? How, how do these areas that really aren't a, don't seem a struggle before, have you stopped and thanked God for that? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, let me give you an example. I don't know how many of you in this room were alcoholics. But I know that if you find any room in North America and pull the room, you're going to have a lot of people that came out of alcoholism. That's the culture where we live in. And there's a lot of other things, but I'm using this as an example. Say you were an alcoholic and God delivered you from that. And you stand here today and maybe there was a season where, where uh, <laughs> you know, you couldn't even watch hockey because there'd be a commercial that reminded you of beer and you didn't want to see it because you were an alcoholic. You know, it was just like too much of a temptation. But now it's not even a big deal to, to see those commercials. You're not tempted. You don't go home wishing you could have some. You're, you're completely free of that. You know, you don't think about it. It's not bugging you. All right, imagine that's where you are right now. I don't want you to go back and start going back to an attitude of maybe I'm still this inches away from falling again. I don't want you to do that. But I want you to thank God, even though it doesn't seem to be a struggle anymore. When's the last time you said, thank God I'm not in bondage to that anymore? Oh, thank God I'm set free. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free from that. Because I guarantee what brought you out of alcoholism is the same, same thing that's going to bring you out of the other thing that's got you. It's the same thing that's going to bring you out of the next thing that, that tries, to, tries to grab onto your flesh. And it may not be so obvious, but it is the same grace. And you need to go back on these things that you just wrote down and begin to sing about it. Begin to thank God about it. Begin to tell your story to people about it. Because somebody needs to hear about this. And I need to hear myself talk about these things. I need to remind myself. King David said things like, he wrote songs that said, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. There were times where he said, enemies have surrounded me, and, and all of these things seem to be so big, and then I remember what you've done. And I remember your mighty hand. And I remember how you brought me out so many other times. It may not seem applicable that this teenager that wants to fight a giant killed some wild animals. But it is the same God that did that that's going to do this. We need to be people of intentional memory. You need to dis discipline your memory. You need to train your memory. You need to go back and be a person of thanksgiving. Thank God for what he's done in the past. Thank God for what he's doing in the present. Thank God for what he's doing and has done that's still in your future by faith. You begin to thank him for it. And thanksgiving brings us out of despair. It brings us out of hopelessness. It brings us out of depression. It brings us out of defeat. It brings us out of all of the bondage of the enemy. It's thanksgiving that lifts our spirit back to a place that says God is able. Confidence in God. When you get to the fat land, out of the skinny land, don't forget your God. Remember the manna when you're harvesting the grain. Remember the victory of the Amalekites when you're not even being bothered at your borders. Remember when you go to your fountains and your springs and you don't even have to make them do anything. They're fresh, they're clean, they're spouting out water. Remember that one time where you had nothing and God brought you to a rock and spoke to the rock, hit the rock once and the next time was told to speak to it. Moses spoke to it, water came out. Remember those stories. Because they're, they're what's going to keep you in the time of scarcity and abundance, it's the thankfulness, it's the remembering what God has done. I want you to, um, this week, can we do that? Can we write down, talk about, sing, put some action to your thanksgiving? Maybe you haven't thought about some things in a while. Maybe you're so busy living in the present that you forgot some of the things God's done for you in the past. No condemnation here. 
I think you should live in the present. I think you should look to the future. I think we're people of faith that don't live in the past. Amen? Amen. We don't live in the past. God doesn't want you to live in the past. And let me tell you, I've been amongst Christians that all they talked about was what God did in the past. There is another ditch. God doesn't want us to live off the stories of past revivals. He wants you to flow in the revival of today. He wants you to flow in the streams of today. But it is remembering, hey, God did it here. It's the thanksgiving of what God did back here that, that, all, that feeds into the stream of what God's doing today. Amen. God doesn't just want you to tell stories of miracles in the past. He wants you to experience miracles in the present. But don't forget the miracles of the past. They're going to serve you well. And they'll serve your children. And they'll serve these new believers that are coming in our back door. They need to hear this stuff. They need to hear this stuff. The God they've heard about is nowhere near the God that you know. Part of my job up here is to teach the Bible, preach the word in season and out. Part of all of our job is to tell the story of how the word is alive in our lives. Amen. 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 Stand with me. Let's praise God.